0: Welcome to the Banda About podcast series. Joining me today in the engine room is an Adelaide drummer who plays in one of Australia's longest running tribute bands. My guest today is the one and only Paul Sharman. Thank you for agreeing to chat with me today, Paul.
1: Thank you, Di. It's, uh, it's an honour to be on the Band About uh, podcast. I've just started listening to podcasts, so I don't know if I want to listen to this one when it's finished, but <laughs> I'm sure I'll listen to it. I'm sure
0: you will eventually. It might yeah. take you a couple of weeks, but you'll you'll get around to yeah. it. The curiosity will get the better of you.
1: For sure. Yeah, I don't sound- like the sound of mine voice, so um... I've
0: had to get used to the sound of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one that edits the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, know, you do a lot of editing today, let me tell you.
0: <laughs> Nothing new.
1: <laughs> Nothing new.
0: We're going to start from the beginning,
1: Paul. Cool.
0: Where were you born?
1: Uh, I was born in Adelaide, uh, but raised on an isolated farm um, in the country. So, yeah. Okay, we're about in the country. Uh, just south, just south of Port Wakefield, we had uh, dad. Dad, mum had a three thousand acre farm. It wasn't all arable, um, and it backed onto the beach. But we couldn't swim there because it was the army. Uh, testing ground for all their um, um, bombs and all that so you could get to the barbed wire fence and sort of stare and say oh, I wish I could go out there but uh, it was semi uh, arable so um, it wasn't great country but it was it was always great to go walk about um, you know I'd, I'd often go camping just grab grab a can of baked beans or whatever or rabbit trap and off I'd go you know yeah, yeah.
0: Did either of your parents have a musical background
1: at all? Uh, yeah, Mum played piano. Um, we had a piano in the house and it was piano, so it was easy for me. I could just put the um, the paper in and, and play. So Mum had a great piano and, and Dad was a, a drummer. He was um, the master drummer when he was at Scotch College and and I, I look back now it was a big influence because, you know, we'd always have to watch um, the Scottish um, tattoo in Edinburgh and, I used to think it was boring back then uh, just listening to, you know, all the rudiments and, um, but now I look back at it and I just think, um, you know, what a great experience it was and and an influence I didn't know. And I've actually got dad's old uh, Druin uh, snare drum, which was a drum company. Uh, there, I think there was back then just the one major company, drewin'. Um, So uh, at some stage I'll get, Get that snare drum um, uh, uh, fixed up. It needs heads and that. But yeah, so it's cool. Sort of always had music around the house growing well, up. While
0: you're saying that, <laughs> I'm going to mention something here. Yep. Uh, at the moment, everybody has the opportunity to win a free snare tune up. Wow. From John Stevens. How good is that? You might want to enter that.
1: <laughs> yeah. How about all we you g- need
0: to do is leave a message on your favourite podcast interview,
1: How could and that? at the
0: end of the month, I draw a winner.
1: He is the master of tuning snare drums, but the secret is just to tighten the the living daylights out of your top head um, till it cracks, and then back it back a turn. That's the. I think I think John might have taught me that years ago, but John silly is um, is a, a wonderful guy and as I like to tell me he's he's ripped me off for many years uh, when he was at John uh, Reynolds Music City um, and and just a fun guy and and probably Adelaide's busiest drummer I don't know about now but um, and he's a master of most styles and and his drum kit he can set up in about three minutes it's an amazing contraption um, they're not wooden drums they're just basically drum heads Um and uh, he still gets great sound. So, yeah, John's the go-to man to get stuff fixed. He's, he's a genius.
0: So it's definitely worth winning that competition,
1: isn't it? Most definitely, yeah. And, and even if even if you forget to drink, bring your snare drum, John will keep you laughing because he is the king of dad jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's always fun to be around there. So He was uh,
0: very good to interview.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I like to listen, he listen shared to that some one. wonderful
0: stories. Yeah. Yes, you will. Leave a message on that one and enter the competition. There sure. you go, Paul. Okay, let's get back to you. Yeah. Where, where did you go to school?
1: Uh, I went to school, a primary school. I caught a little school bus and we travelled through the farmland um, to a little railway siding called Bowman's. So uh, there are only 27 um, kids in that school. So And then I went to Balaclava, which was like going to a city, um, and I think we had about 300 students at the Balaclava High School. So all, all my schooling, unlike my parents, was public, which uh, I think was fantastic. I had—I always say you only need one uh, good teacher to inspire you, and, and I had more than one at Balaclava. Mm.
0: Did uh, you study music at all then?
1: I didn't. You couldn't study music, but um, in uh, year 11, I think, year 11, in our chemistry class, uh, three other guys that um, played music, played um, bass and guitar. Because we, there was a teacher, a guy called Peter Eason, who used to drive around in his panel van. Who was the coolest guy in the district? Had long hair. You know, uh, I think I was the only one through poverty. The only thing I could have that no one else could have was long hair. So I had the longest hair at school. Um, but there was no, yeah, you know, no music uh, lessons available on the Adelaide Plains at that stage. But we, in, there was, um, Old old 55 were big at the time. And so in history, we thought, Old 55, what's element 55 on the periodic table? And that was Cesium. So we named our band Cesium and uh, very proud. So that was the first band that had started um, out of the school. Um, And yeah, it was good good fun back in those days.
0: Excellent. so when did you get your first kit?
1: Uh, well, I, my first kit was a bit like Smiley gets a bike for the old people. or um, I used to uh, walk along because we lived on Highway 1, our farm, so I used to collect cans. Didn't get much for them back then, but I used to trap rabbits. And one of the, the physics teacher at Balaclava High, um, Mr Judd, he had a throw together uh, drum kit and I think I saved up sixty bucks uh, and and I got it was, it was a terrible kit um, but at the time you didn't know it made a noise so I think I was fifteen fifteen when I got that
0: yeah okay so who were your main teachers in
1: well I my god mother's son who's basically like a um, a cousin he'd come up to the farm every now and then and and he just taught me a couple of a basic bi- beats. So basically, I would just play along to, uh, I, you know, I think Chuck Berry's greatest hits every night, and the Easy Beats' greatest hits, Volume One and Two. So that, that so my teachers really were the great uh, blues drummer Fred Bello and uh, uh, Snowy Fleet and uh, Tony K. from the Easy Beats. They were they were my my biggest influences.
0: Yeah, a lot of the uh, drummers that I've interviewed previously have mentioned playing along to the records.
1: Yeah, um, it destroyed my schooling because at that time I just became obsessed uh, with drumming. So my brain went into a different, <laughs> different uh, area. Not I should have been studying, but every night I was just playing the drums for three hours. And luckily, my parents didn't stop me. Uh, it was an old stone house, so when you when you shut the door. Uh, not much noise went through, so yeah.
0: Oh, well, that's handy, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah,
0: because the the inability to practice at home can often
1: yeah. affect. And dad did have a mm. stock whip, so if, if something, if I did upset them, that often came out. So I was very good at sport because I, I would run when he got the stock whip, I would run a few hundred meters till he couldn't chase after me if <laughs> <laughs> I committed sure any did. sins, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Kids these days don't understand what it was like back then.
1: No, no, they don't. They've, they've well, it's still hard for them. You know, everyone's life is relative to the times and struggles around them. But um, you know, I, I had even, even though we were poor, I had, I had, I think I had a fantastic upbringing, um, and I was, you know, lucky to to get to play music. Um, and when we were, we were the only band in the district, so we got plenty of gigs. So. Mm, mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So
0: what was your first major gig then?
1: Uh, well, my first major gig, I think, was the Balaclava Town Hall. We, we, well, I got to sit in, I think I was 15, and I got got to sit in uh, in my um, godmother's son's band, Bill Skinner. Um, I think we'd booked, I was on the social committee, I think we booked either... Cold Chisel, no, it was the uh, the Angels. Um, and at the last minute, they pulled out. Um, and once a year, I, th- I th- used to go to Adelaide, to, you know, you get your clothes. And I, I remember, you know, they had some reason why the Angels couldn't play. And I walked past Alan's Music, and I noticed a sign on the window saying they were closed. They're having a, a private farewell party for the Angels. So that's, that's where our... Uh, Our um, Angels gig went, so I got my mate's band to play and I sat in. But my first major gig, I think, was at the St Albans Hall at Port Wakefield, uh, Anglican Hall. And I think we charged 20 cents a head. Uh, I think we got about $20, but someone picked up our doorman, tipped him upside down, and all the money went through the hall. So I think we went home with about 10 bucks in total. Oh, my God. But that's, that's um, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, uh, I, a major gigs, so, you know, I, I, I played gig, I've played I've, gigs. I always say the best gig I never played because I was in a band that got in the SFM Summer Search Battle of the Bands, but I got glands of fever just before, so I had to watch one of my mates. Um, but the, the big gig we didn't play was to 10,000 people at, Central Districts Oval, when they won the grand final, they had a big lineup of bands, and we were the headline act. Um, that was the Rocking Stones, and so it was like the Doors at Miami. I was on stage. Every band played past their time, so we we're on stage. I'm just just hitting my drums, getting a sound check, um, and just looking at all these people. So this is going to be big. Next minute, the police jump on stage and say you can't play. So. Yeah. But we, the, the, yeah, I suppose it was later in life that the first major gig was getting um, to play at the SNFL grand final um, to 30,000 people. That was, that was pretty cool.
0: That would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Which lineup was that? Uh,
1: that was Satisfaction. That was with Paul Curtis, who sang for us for many years, mm-hmm. uh, Phil Catley on guitar. Lenny Rose, of course, Leanne, who is still with us, uh, the master bass man, Cosgo Glamucci, um, Phil Eagle on piano, uh, and one of Phil's friends, uh, uh, Mark Fernandez, I think he plays with Planet Square, he wanted to get on stage. And I said to Mark, my gollywog wig and play conga you can get on stage. So if anyone sees the ABC film clip, but there's Mark Fernandez, not in our band, playing congers, and he looks absolutely stupid with this gollywog wig um, that I made him wear. So <laughs> that, was, that was a fun day. As I say, 30,000 people uh, went to the footy but not to see us, but it was a good day. Hey,
0: look, yeah. you got seen by them, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's all about being seen, isn't
1: it? Yeah, that's, yeah, it is. You know, you've got to get get out there somehow. But you that, that, that was can. a lucky... That was a lucky one. I think I was uh, interviewed in the morning um, about only about three or four weeks before by Spence Denny. I I forgot he was coming. I'd had a big night the night before, and my wife says, there's a red car in our driveway with ABC on it. I've got, oh, shivers. I forgot about that. So out I come in my pyjamas into the the band room, and, and I had to play Stones' drum beats. Um, live to air uh, I, I had I just got up, I hadn't thought too much about it but um, the Bald Brothers had to pick the songs just the drums only and, and they were great they picked every song, luckily I picked songs that had um, definitive Stones Beats but mm. um, Spence Foamy I think after lunch he'd been to lunch with the either media or, or marketing um, manager at in and he said, you know, have you got a gig on this day? I said, no. He said, how would you lo- like to play the SNFL grand final? And I said, let me think about it for about half a second. How about yes? <laughs>
0: but, <laughs> mm.
1: So that was good fun. Good
0: fun. Yeah, you never hesitate with uh, things like that, do you?
1: No, no. They're, they're, they're rare opportunities. So, yeah, mm. got to grab, grab, grab anything. Definitely. Gigs are gigs.
0: What was your
1: first job after you left school? Uh, well, my parents, being a little child, uh, my, my, my mother obviously wanted to get rid of me. So uh, I remember going for a job at the Cornies and I got there about 7.30 and I was a shy, naive country kid and the, this guy just chucked a pencil on in front of me and said, sell me the pencil. I thought, gee, I thought we are here to sell lounge sweeps." That didn't go too well, but then I got a job uh, in spare parts um, Uh, $59.40 a week. I think it's the lowest paid profession you can get. So um, um, that was my first job, basically, um, for a Holden dealer called Freeman Motors. And back then, one in two cars sold was a Holden. And and fortunately for General Motors, um, they needed a lot of parts. So it was a a big business. So, um, yeah, that was my job, yeah. Okay.
0: Is there a band that you wish that you had played with?
1: Um, that's a good question. Uh, no, I think I've, what was in front of me. Um, you know, I've got played in some great original bands and great cover bands, but uh, I, I suppose I, I've got a passion for American Swing um, and, and, and Royal Crown Review, who Lucky Seven, a uh, great Adelaide band, uh, they sort of... Um, I'd say bass, you know, their performances on. I don't think I'm saying anything out of school. So, I, you know, I, I love American swing and particularly the drummers of of you know the '40s and '50s era. You know, Gene Cruper, Buddy Rich, Louis, Louis Belson. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of that melodic tom tom, and swing. You know, it's you know it's one thing to play rock, but um, you know to play play swing. You know. The Americans just kill it. And I think in 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 two hundred and forty million or whatever. I think there's over one million Americans that play drums, which is you know, you know, it's it's, uh, it's very very inspirational. You know that music to me anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. That's a um, another common denominator amongst a lot of the guys that I've interviewed within a certain age group. You know. Yeah. You- over fifty, I say they tend to really like that sort of um,
1: yeah
0: era in drumming. Hmm.
1: And, and I, I got, I was lucky. Um, I had a, a very good friend of mine, Pat Harvey, who used to help with promotions when uh, the Stones thing happened. And uh, he was always talking about this swing band, Royal Crown Review, and how good the drummer was. Yada yada yada. And um, and I thought, no, nah, swing. I remember the Jimmy Miller movie, and I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to go see a band that's sitting around in white V-neck jumpers, you know, on a bandstand. And then one one day he said that he drove to Canberra to see the band. Uh, he couldn't get in because his son was 15, so um, they, he drove to Melbourne. I thought, if this review is that good to drive that far and then drive again, and I went and saw them at the Gov and um, it was a real musical awakening to see um, this this powerhouse band. Who who the, the movie The Mask is is pretty well based on this band, um, and they they play in in the movie uh, with the famous dancing with Cameron Diaz, um, and
0: yeah. yeah, I know I, the movie. I, yeah, it's good.
1: You know, I remember meeting Scott, and you just click with some people. They they just played um, at the government, you know, I met, he, you know, had a shower came out suited up and Pat introduced me to him and I told him what to do. he goes, Oh, tell me, do you do the Charlie stick lift? You know, on the two and four. And I thought this, this guy, you know, he's, he's a nice guy. And we've become very good friends over the years and he's been, uh, you know, big influence, mm. um, on not only drumming, but also running bands, you know, I can't play like him, but I, I love listening to him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what led you to sort of go from playing to running bands?
1: And- oh, that's a very pertinent question, Di. Um, I'm trying to think. It's probably about 18 years ago we, I got a call from someone to headline, there was a big festival on the west coast at Cummins, and I got this call to headline the Friday night. It was a a weekend festival. I think Grinspoon headlined the Saturday night. We got the Friday night for the older crew, uh, older punters, and um, about four weeks before, uh, I think it might be two weeks, my, uh, my singer Matt Ellis quit the band. I said, you can't quit, Matt. This is huge. I don't know how many thousand people, but it's a big festival. So I was really, really worried. I was also uh, angry, which um, is a waste of emotion. I I think I phoned Steve Brown or Chris Finnan. So what happened, we got Chris, I think we had one rehearsal, uh, and I, I regard, you know, the, the, those two guys, you know, they're Australian music legends, not, not Adelaide, uh, fine players, and... With one rehearsal, Steve Brown started the show, I'm trying to think, I can't remember what we started with, but he was doing like this how, uh, and, you know, the the gig just went off, uh, and from that moment, I thought, I, I don't need to be held to ransom um, by, you know, a musician, Some some, you know, in this case, I think there was a bit of illness there, but so from that moment on, yeah, I thought look, you know,
0: Steve Brown can just control an entire audience.
1: Oh, he they, they when Steve talks, people, you know that everyone everyone listens, and, and mm-hmm. you can hear you can hear a pin drop, and his storytelling is is great too, um, and his humour, uh, you know. After the yeah. first song, thank you very much. You've been a great audience. Good night. It's <laughs> one of Steve's favourites.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, but so then I thought, okay, um, I'm going to have to step up. And I remember I had had Frank Lang in the band when we lost a bass player. And, and, you know, Frank's, uh, you know, he's uh, a disciplined uh, Hungarian-Australian can be grumpy, which is a great energy sometimes. And
0: oh, look, but he's,
1: it, he's great on stage. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he can, he's just he's great to play with. So I learned a lot from Frank. And one thing he said, Paul, if you run a band, you can't be, you know, it can't be a democracy. You, you need you need to be a dictator. So um, I wouldn't say I'm a dictator, but um, over the you know from that moment, again, most you know you could call it a bad moment, a lot of stress, but. Um, I'm a great believer in just take what life throws at, you know, throws at you. Uh, and from that moment on, then I started slowly to learn, um, you know, how to manage You have made a lot of mistakes, still make mistakes. You learn from your mistakes, mm-hmm. mistakes are meant to happen. That's part of the human condition. And so from then on, I was just, you know, um, learning all the time, you know, about, um, how to, you know, most most important thing in managing a band is interpersonal skills. Um, you're better off with with a champion team than a team of champions. You know, yes. You know, super, super groups don't last for very long. Uh, and and you know, I'm very lucky uh, and very proud and honoured to just play with uh, seven other, sometimes eight, <laughs> sometimes twelve um, other. Musicians who I consider to be family, and 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 over the years, I've probably spent <laughs> as much time with them uh, as I have with members of my family, because it is a it is a selfish, narcissistic um, business music. You know, it's uh, you to miss family holidays, wedding anniversaries, weddings, birthdays. Um, you know, I always say that. You know, and, and lucky my partner of forty four years. It's not only a great roadie, but um, she's put up with it all, so no, no, no band without you know good support. You've from got that. to have
0: good support, that's right. Yeah. it's amazing yeah. when, yeah, 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 you get the right team together, as you said. Yeah,
1: yeah, how my wife has suffered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope that you've looked after her and returned really well. <laughs> I,
1: I, I do what I can, Dye. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm just a mere male, I know that
0: because so many just don't. Don't get it, and
1: um, yeah, it, often it's,
0: marriages break down because of it.
1: Yeah. It is a selfish pursuit, but it's—I think, like everyone else, it's music becomes it's almost an almost an addiction. And I always say that they don't make a drug that can replace the highs and the lows of playing, you know, live music. It's just the it's cathartic. It's just when you look out and you know what I like is you send people home happy, you know. Um, uh, it's just you know, and and you know, when people come up and they say you know how much they enjoyed it, you know, that that's the reward, not, not the finance. Yep. Um, and, and it's good too when you know when people come up and say, Hey, you know, you did this wrong, or you know, I, I love hearing those compliments, th- those comments more than a compliment because sometimes when people are complimenting, they're just drunk and they want to say what you, yeah. you want to hear. But you want but to hear—that's
0: right. I, I, but some feedback yeah. at the end actually yeah. is quite useful. Yeah,
1: yeah I, w- I want to hear. I want to hear the bad stuff. You know, probably more than the good stuff because I think, like most most players, um, you're on a, on a path of continuous education. You know, if if you, and that that doesn't just apply to music. That applies to to any job. I think. Um, you know, is that is is the joy of uh, the joy of learning, and also the joy of mistakes. You know,
0: yeah, that's
1: right. Is it, if, if, if you don't make mistakes, you're not trying hard enough, or you haven't re- haven't practiced enough.
0: <laughs> a matter of having the ability to recognise it and get around it without yeah. anybody in the audience noticing that there was one.
1: Yeah, I, I've got a saying that I learnt when I was selling cars. You know, you drive through accidents you know um you know if 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 you know i remember younger you'd be you know you, old bands if someone did a fluff you know uh you know the band member would turn around and give a death stare um you know the audience missed it you know it's instantaneous so it's you know it's a millisecond um yep. and if you've got good players you 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 know you you work around it you know
0: you do you do been there <laughs>
1: <laughs> and sometimes, mis- sometimes mistakes make a song better because, hey, you know what, you know, if it wasn't as played, we try to play close to the, the, the live versions or, or recorded versions as much as you can. Mm. Charlie Watts has been a study of 22 years. I'm still learning stuff. He's, he's an unorthodox drummer. You learn stuff and you say, hey, that worked, you know, let's do a little bit of the live version, a little bit of the studio version. Mix it up. You know? uh, yeah.
0: With all your involvement with all these different bands over the years, I'm yeah. quite sure that you would have at least one memorable gig story that you'd like to share.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, there's there's too many. Um, I probably think you know the joy uh, when I because I, I was so poor, paying board and a car payment in the city, I, I'd I'd work forty hours during the week and then I'd do twenty hours at night stacking shells, playing. Friday night or Thursday night or Saturday night and then I worked Sunday and I um, I was stacking shelves and I ran into an old school buddy um, from Balaclava High and he was putting a band together uh, and that band was last resort and we played a combination of uh, originals and I just probably playing the Alma, you know, some of those small gigs, just playing in a band with... Um, Peggy and Neil Ward, um, you know, brother and sister, um, and their mum played piano. The joy of siblings singing and playing in a band that was, you know, those moments where just the hair on your back, your neck just sticks up, you know. um, and, And that was a great band. We got through having a good manager, Ken Montgomery. I think Ken was working for Warners or EMI later with CBS Sony. Um, uh, you know, Ken got us into well, not uh, Ken. We got it got into the the summer search where and I was crook. I couldn't play to watch it. That was with them. when Safari set one. I think there was no fixed address. The dagos, um, uh, vertical hold, the bodges, Um Yeah, you know, sort of. Even though I was sick with glandular fever, I did watch it. I was very ill. Um, It was good to see um, the band out front. So that was probably a memorable gig that I didn't play, but I got to see just how good Last Resort were, you
0: know. Of the bands that you've played with over the years, which ones have you enjoyed the most, do you think?
1: Uh, I think Voyeur. That was um, a band with Peter Zabrecki. who's still playing around town. I remember going to FM Audio. There used to be a little rehearsal room uh, opposite... Uh, it was the Lonsesson Hotel, now it's the Grace Emily. I remember going for uh, audition for that gig. I think they auditioned 21 or 22 drummers. And I got down to the last two, got the phone call, thanks, yada, yada, yada. Then about two weeks later, they phoned up and said, oh, that, that drummer didn't work out. And I said, oh, great, I'm in. He goes, no, you've got to audition again. <laughs> anyway, I got I got through the, the audition. I think it was my new shiny Tama Superstar kit um, and my attitude that got me in. But I had to learn 21 songs in about 19 days. And the, the bass player, Rick Arnold, who was a music teacher, um, you know, he, he got me through. And and I don't think I was 23 or 24 at the time, but um, I'd just played straight ahead, you know, songs, you know, rock and roll. And it was the first time I had to learn. And being a um, not a taught drummer, um, I had to learn syncopation. And, and the song was Original Sin, uh do but you know, so you le- I learned to do um I you know, I learned to do polyrhythms and um so uh voyeur, you know, it was a you know, weekend rock stars. We had to ended up with a warehouse at Wingfield, a truck. Uh, brain Stereo PA and the two best roadies in the business if, you know, I remember the Bay Disco there wasn't a green room or something so the guys we had plenty of blacks, they'd they build, they build a green room with four poles and um, they were a very, very good band but I ended up leaving them to because um, I had a good job offer in Mount Gambier so uh, I, I left them in that sort of folder, I think Andy Ward um, joined the band, they changed the name and yeah, so um, th- they, were, th- they were probably the first really professional band and we had good management with a guy called Alex Zabalocky, but he used to use his Anglo name, Alex Hamilton, um, to get gigs. But, mm-hmm. so, yeah, that, that, was, that was a great band, a great band.
0: Excellent. Now, of course, you've always worked to support yourself in the background.
1: Yeah, I've I've I have taken a, a couple of breaks where I've done music full time, but um, yeah, it's and in high pressure, long hour jobs. So and that's mm-hmm. why I, I built the Voodoo Lounge because often you know when you've you've got band rehearsal, you'd be stuck with a client. That's just how life life works, you know. So I I, I could walk in with my suit, uh, put my tea on the floor, Tom, uh, and and rehearse. Um, so yeah and yeah that was and, and I look back now and you even though you thought you were playing good drums um, I think when you play music you've got to be relaxed in a good frame mm-hmm. I look back at some of my you know we've never filmed ourselves but others have uh, Thank thanks thanks to all those people who have done that hold a phone for five or six or seven minutes Um and you look back and you think, ah, uh, you know, didn't do that good a job. But now that I'm full time, um, I've actually got energy to to practice. I've always been a bit lazy there, um, and uh, yeah, I think I think uh, not I having I certainly noticed a the
0: difference on Sunday.
1: Did you? Yes. <laughs> the band now, the band don't normally I say hadn't compliments. Seen
0: your- I hadn't seen you play together for uh, a couple of years,
1: so yeah, I oh. yeah, went it was a good along gig.
0: and I went. Yeah. Well, that, this is sounding a bit different.
1: <laughs> yeah, even even Dan uh, Dan Booth, who's seen me play for many many years, he goes, oh, he played well tonight." Yeah, mm. so mm. Yeah, being being uh, sober um, makes a big difference too. That's that's probably the best decision I've made. Is is not that I drank a lot, but. Uh, not like Rob Riley, We did, I did a gig um, at the British years ago and we had a slab of VB. You know, the, the beer changes, the, the rider changes uh, depending where you're playing. And I, I think we've got pizza and after we played, I said, Rob, where's all the beer? And he patted his tummy and said, I'm drunk it. And I think mean, <laughs> there's about four, four pieces of pizza left. But uh, you, you can only laugh at laugh at Rob because he's just such a great guy and a great hey. player. Mm. that was that was funny so um, but yeah over the years um, you know it, it's it's you know you get your drinks for free it becomes can become a nasty habit certainly yeah so that's yeah, made can. a big difference big difference it has,
0: with, um, certainly had a uh, that impact on a lot of people so yeah yeah, yeah. Although some people might think, "Oh yeah, you have got to have the rider," blah blah blah. Well, do you really need to have that much rider?
1: <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's good when it's good when you sneak it out at the end when there's left over and you know, put it in the band fridge, band room fridge for the guys that do drink.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd prefer to go on stage with a band that was sober myself.
1: But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're all ticking over, you know. Uh. You. You. you I always joke, you can't play the Stones music without a bit of the Stones medicine. No, nah, it's all, all good. Um, The, the band, you know. You, you, it, I remember an old guy that I worked in spare parts where he used to tell me, you know, on Wednesday nights he'd drink at the Norwood Club, thinking, and he'd wake up in the morning thinking he parked his car close to the curb and he'd get out and it was, a, uh, you know, a foot and a half away. And I always recount that story, you know, if you've been drinking, you might think, Everything's going well, but it's just a false state of mind, so, you know.
0: Yes, it is. COVID has had a tremendous impact on the music industry. Yes. How creative did you need to become to be able to get work once uh, we were able to start playing again here?
1: Yeah, it's – I've never really had – it's always hard work, you know, like to, to get gigs. That I, even when we played the grand final, the phone didn't ring, you know. Um, so – That's the hardest thing, you know, um, is doing that selling. And fortunately, because of the skill set I got from managing and car yards and and selling luxury cars, that's held me a good steep. But I saved a lot of money probably because I booked about 70 gigs um, and I was probably a bit too generous. I asked the bands what they wanted. Then I'd see them at a venue, do a head count, and going, uh, they want three times as much. So I, I probably, you know, a lot of those gigs I would have broken even or made a small bit of money. So um, for me, um, that was, you know, a good lesson. So I always say I saved money. But it did hit hard. But um, what I did in our act, well, if people are sitting down, um, you know, you've got to play slower songs, you know. So we introduced a lot of slower songs into our set so you don't don't sort of have that that, uh, chair dancing. So for me, it was just, again, um, just writing a set list that had a lot more, probably 20% more slower songs, you know, like Angie, Wild Horses, Waiting on a Friend, As Tears Go By, um, those sort of songs. Um, But, you know, again, you've... It's not not the smartest or richest person in the room that that survives life. It's a person that that can can change change what they do, willing the to time. adapt
0: with the changes adapt. that yeah. are required. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And, absolutely. And it,
1: and it is is what it is. You know, you, uh, when when bands start saying back in the eighties, or when I said i just put my hand up, and say stop talking. You know, uh, it, I've dumped all that. Let's let's talk about. The future, what we can do, be creative. You know, can we, you know, play backyard parties unplugged? Um, Organise your own shows. There's always ways around it. But certainly, like most people in the business, uh, I was very, very frustrated that the venues seemed to be targeted um, as opposed to sporting and other. I think I think it was very unfair. It um, is.
0: Very unfair, and it's not just here. Now, the reason no. why I include a bit of COVID discussion in the interviews yeah. is the fact that I've got twenty seven percent of my audience situated yeah. in the US, and I've, I think a lot of them are getting some useful information out of these discussions that we're having about COVID. For with sure, Australia being in a in a position where we are gigging again. And they're still waiting to see what's going to happen. It really struck home when I was speaking to Darren Lee the other week because he's living in the UK.
1: Yeah.
0: And he mentioned the fact that the the pubs were just starting to open and you could go in and have a beer, but you had to sit down. Yeah. And I thought, oh, wow, that was so long ago now for us. Yes. So then he started – asking me questions about the various stages that we went through and I thought, well, okay, it's good to include this information in in the interview because I've got people listening all around the world and they're all in different stages and it seems that a lot of them are following in the path that we took.
1: Yeah. We're, we're very fortunate that we're in an isolated island. We did take a little time to lock down, which was March Twenty third, um, I remember that because it was my uh, our eldest daughter's wedding on the Saturday night. So um, it was in the country on the River Murray, and um, yeah, I remember. You know, it, it has. You know, it's destruct, You know, I, I've got good friends in America. Um, Scott Steen, who trumpet player with Bette Middle and Royal Crown Review, I've made from driving bands. We posted George. I've made good friends with um, uh, Don McCauley, who's um, Charlie Watts' drum tech, and Larry Mallon, um, and Rob Shanahan, their photographer. I met him at uh, Venice Beats, and he plays with the Hollywood Stones. Um, I've just got him a zilly deal. Um, these guys, you know, it's, I don't know, you know, a lot of them are recording, you know, a lot of, lot of guys I know, are drummers. Uh, in the States are using that time to record. A lot lot have got new equipment, look at that stuff, set up home studios. So, again, it's about where you, you know, what you do to change. A lot do online gigs or, um, you know, just improve their craft. I think, again, these things that happen, you need to adapt. Mm. Uh, and adapt the best you can, but the worst thing has been the financial hit. Um, I don't think we see it too. I think my first job is with them, um, Guns and Roses. Um, I think that's the first band to come, in. and I think most will come through a sort of April. But th- we, this, we've got this for the rest of our lives. COVID, you know, or this this type of COVID, it's, it's going to mutate and change, and 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 we're going to have to. Change our behaviours, and um, you know, live live with it. You know, it's here. To, you know, and, and it's up to every human to do what they can um, to survive. And, and and you know, that means checking in. Uh, you know, we can't do anything about it. It's just going to keep mutating and uh, and kill people. It's just a, mm. just a fact of life.
0: Yeah, I mean, there isn't a lot of upsides to this. I've seen more musicians actually interacting with their fans than ever before.
1: Yes, that's a very good point. I agree with that. Yep.
0: And I really hope that they continue to do that when they do get busier. You know, you know, take some time to still do a bit of that interaction via the social media with the fans because it's been winning, you know. It's yeah. been getting people to watch them and get to know them. Yeah, so it, you know, it's not all negative. What's happened from this, I can see a lot of positives.
1: Yeah. It, it's it's life, you know. If people think they've got a str- struggle now, just think about our forebears who had to fight in the war, and some as young as seventeen or eighteen. You know, like I'm a bi- I'm a glass half full guy, and I was, I was sort of cut out negative or cynical people out of my life. Um, mm. And I say to bands, you know, a lot of bands that use the Voodoo Lounge to rehearse and young bands in particular, I said, listen, you'll get good or you'll get your musical skills just by constantly gigging. If you can't get a gig, have a private party. But uh, the most important thing is, and you can get carried away with what you're doing and you can't expect punters to come to a gig and be interested in what you do if you're not interested in, going to their plays or their footy match or, you know, the most important thing is, and I sort of probably call myself a relationship manager more than a drummer, is building that relationship and uh, involving. And, and you know, it's like after a gig, you know, go out and talk to the people. But they they want to meet you. You know, they want to talk to you. <coughs> it's it's just good business practice. And it, and it is the music business. And, and that doesn't just involve rehearsing, practising, playing, but you need to, the, the good bands around town, uh, and I'd say, you know, some of the best at relationships would be Trio, Acoustic Fix, Clearway, uh, Vince Contarino. You know, th- these guys are leaders in uh, keeping their audience, you know, um, and it's through, you know, keeping them involved. The other thing that I like doing is is sometimes you might film a rehearsal and some of the band I said, don't put it up, you know, that's got a mistake. And I said, well, actually the the biggest selling TV shows are ones of vulnerability. I don't watch them, but the the reality TV show. And a lot of, you know, young musicians or people, they want to see human frailty. So, you know, I said, "Band, you know, we've got a mistake in it, but, you know, life's not, you know, about being... Perfect, you know. Um, you know, people want to see that you know it's real, and and, and you screw up too. You know, that's, that's just
0: right. part of it. Mm, yeah, yeah. I know some pe- some uh, people worry when they see that you're filming because they, oh, oh no, that you know, don't don't put anything out that's got mistakes in it. And it's like, well, the reality is that your average punter isn't even going to notice. Yeah. As long as you you covered it.
1: Yeah, and I remember years ago at the Gov, you know, I think we've played there a hundred times. Thank you to God bless the, the Tonkin family for supporting live music as I have. I, mm. I certainly wouldn't run a run a venue with all my business experience. I think I think we, we've got to salute everyone that has a live venue. But, you know, some of the bands say, oh, so-and-so's in the audience. And, you know, I say, don't worry. And I said, what do you mean? I said, well, he's sitting with a table of friends. He hasn't got a gig, so he's going to be grumpy. Um, and like a lot of us, will go and not so much, we'll critique the band, not knock the band, but we'll point things out. And, oh. and I said, the group of friends that are with him, they don't listen to him. They go la, 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 because he does it every time, or she, every time they go out. So um, it's like an empty room, you know, when, you, when you've when you done gigs. You know, I always say, the band stare to the back of the room, you know, do the typewriter, look from the right, and then to the left and back, and, and just be positive. It's, it's not, you know, these things happen, you're going to get those gigs and um, you just got to, again, drive through the accident, you know. Imagine, I remember seeing, uh am trying to think of a band from the 80s, if my memory will get there, um, and it doesn't, um, at the Bridgeway, and there were about 80 people there. And, and they played like there were 1,200 in the room, and I always remember that. Um, it was a big lesson, just to say. Um, and I, I say to bands all the time, I said, "You only need one person in the audience to book you or sign you, and and you don't know who that one person is." So always, you know, always say, you know, play like it's your last gig um you know I'll, my goal is to die on the drum kit i said to i tell the band if if i perk over just keep playing just do just do acoustic <laughs> <a good> number <laughs> <around> uh, <laughs> but yeah yeah but don't let me die and also remember my funeral song is uh ride right on uh acdc dirty deeds you know uh and and at volume 10 you know cuz you should just <laughs> should just ride on in life
0: Yes, you should.
1: You should live it, live, live it and enjoy it, one day at a time.
0: <laughs> no, that's good. Really good advice. Have you yourself received a positive out of a result of the shutdown? One um, that you wouldn't have. Re- one one thing that wouldn't have happened had we not gone through all of this.
1: Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, learning the best things in life are free. Like I go for a bit on a bit of a fitness journey at the moment. So walking around, observing nature, walking in parks, um, listening to music while I'm walking. Um, uh, I've changed my daily habits. You know, I get up uh, late like most musicians and I'll walk down to Goody Road at Ginger's Cafe. And I'll, I'll do my business you know, I do half an hour, an hour there on my phone or diary. Um, I'm practising. I shamefully so I very rarely practice. Uh like you know, a lot of drummers don't, you know. Um, but so for me, the slowdown, I th- I think it's made not just myself, but a lot of people realise what what really matters in life, you know, friends, family. Um, and and also, just considering just how how lucky you are. So, again, out of any situation, there's there's always something positive. And and my, one of my favorite sayings is, is, "Don't worry about things you can't control." Mm. You know, don't live in fear. You know, don't live in fear of you know who's out there. You know, who's going to see you, or I don't know if I know this part. Just just do it. You know, life's, life's, life's about Living, and um, I think COVID uh, for me, and I know a lot of my friends, it's it's we've we've learnt to live, uh, you know, to to live and and enjoy the simple things, you know, yes, yes. more relaxed, slowed down a bit, you know, you know. I reckon it took me twelve months to to relax after being in the luxury car business for thirty years. You don't realise how wound up that you've become, you know. Mm,
0: mm, True. So what's it like running a rehearsal room from your
1: home? Cool. It's, yes, you know, they walk through, you know, a garden. I've got got two houses together. I I bought them when when houses were cheap and the bank owns one. They keep reminding me every month when they send a statement. (laughs) Um, And that was the house of Doug Thomas from Greasy Pop Records. All right. who through being neighbour ended up drumming with the last version of the Spikes who were great in the grunge scene. They sold a lot of records overseas and, and, and Doug, um, you know, he was a stalwart in the original music scene. Um, so yeah, the, the room's good. I, when I, I built it, I labored for it, um, designed it myself and, um, and when it was finished, I got John Vincent Vinnie who'd roll up at a gig with his music stand, and suddenly he had to play half an hour of Ken O's songs, which was great because apart from my Chuck Berry's greatest hits, Easy Beats, I forgot I had Son of How You Going crossed out, Daughter written, um, John Vincent album, which I got to got to sign, and Vinny came round, and I, I had you know, I only had about thirty music people here, um, and I had a a bottle of. A stubby of Cooper's parallel smash for Vinnie to smash against the wall, and Vinny looked at me and said, "I'm not wasting good good beer, Paul. Have you got anything else?" <laughs> so I don't know. I didn't sort of keep a lot of grog in the fridge, but there was a must have been there for five years. At the back of the fridge was a bottle of low alcohol, and 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 Vinnie smashed it um, against the wall. So it, it's pretty easy running the room. I'm very lucky that when the gov. Um, got a new drum riser a couple of years ago. They gifted me the drum riser that had been there for 25 years. So I'm lucky. I'm, you know, it's built, the room's built on Grizzly Pop House, if you like land, open by Vinnie. And I've got a drum riser that's had Clem Burke Sweat on it, Rob Hurst, all these amazing players. Um, and, yeah, it's pretty cool. And now I've got a Zilly and a Gretsch do, um... And, and also deal on musical equipment. I, I, it's easy to run. I've just gone, finally, instead of double booking, I've got um, electronic booking system. So to make it easier for bands, rather than ring me, they can just go online and do it. So yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. And the best thing is, you know, apart from the rehearsal and, and doing my work at the Gov, I get to see six to nine bands a week, um, which is invaluable, um, not only for making contacts, but just seeing how other bands do it, um, mm. you know, and, and work at it, you know. But, and the and the and uh, my saying in the in the lounge is look, the more more sweat lost in rehearsal, the less blood lost lost on stage. Yeah, so True. so True. yeah. As yes. good see, you know, get some young bands in, you know, they ask you questions, you know, um, you give them a few tips, or. On the other end, you learn something. You say, "Oh, that's pretty cool what they do." Or well, that's a... yeah. no. It's, it's been a great experience, and now a little bit of money is trickling. I I seem to pour most m- into the room to make sure I've got good equipment. But it's. I think I've got my last spend happening um, on a new mixing desk, and and hopefully in six months I'll have it set up so bands. Not only record here, but I've got a couple of camera mounts and some bands that already do live streams from here, which is cool. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's great. Yeah, you know. it's my man cave. As Spence Denny from the ABC said a couple of years ago, I don't know how he got on the subject, but he reckons Paul sharman has got the best man cave in Australia.
0: <laughs> I think you do. Yeah, <laughs> everybody we're, we're, seems to rave about it.
1: We've had a few, uh, in, in the Rolling Stones years, we've had a few all-nighters here, and, and it, it's totally soundproof, so I've never, I think I've had one complaint for a neighbour, someone must have left the door open, but it's, 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 I'm very fortunate, very, very fortunate. For the poorest kid at Balaclava High School to own a house and, um, and do what I do, I think, um, yeah, I'm lucky, very lucky. Hmm.
0: Now you've mentioned uh Aiden and Zilly Symbols a few times. Do you want to tell us yeah. about how that came yeah. to be?
1: Well well, I met this crazy Turk. I think he just rolled up at um, gigs and he'd he'd give you sets of symbols to try and film you making your mistakes or um, and post them and then when COVID finished, I think it was June the sixth last year, we got a gig at the Gov and anyway this Aiden rolls up holding a stack of symbols and he's there for you. I said, What do you mean to use? He goes, No, no, for you. I said, What do you mean? He goes, For you. And I said, Ah, to have. He goes, Yes. I said, Oh, wow. Thank you. So now he's a cool guy. Um, I like what he does. His brother's involved in making them in, in Turkey, and the Turks have been making great symbols. With Forever. special. <laughs> yeah. Five hundred years or so. Um and so you know, I said, you know, you need you know, I just suggested you need to do a few things. So in that time he's made me the artist relationship manager, which I've got to sign up and reward, I should say. Not not sign, reward great Adelaide drummers, um, to help Zilly's brand. He keeps offering him money. I said, Zilly, I've never Never chase money. Never, you know. I've always made sure I've negotiated fairly for all parties. Whatever it is I do, um, but I'm happy to do this because he gave me something that I, I didn't ask for, and I, I know I upset a local drum store. I so said, if he came to us, we would have done a deal. I said, you know, he's come up. You know, I've spent, you know, money with, you know, it, it, I've just, so I've organised a few drum days. Um, I've just, you know, I've signed up. Um, You know, like Mark Meyer just joined the brand um, and it was just a pleasure to watch Mark, who's one of Australia's most recorded drummers. There should should be a statue of Mark Meyer. He's a guy that was playing in Melbourne as a young kid Band split up, and next minute he gets a phone call from Marsha Hines, his yep, management. and
0: he was playing in Sydney. Yes, we've heard the story. <laughs>
1: one, one rehearsal and 170,000 punters.
0: That, um, that was the moment that actually that, that gig opened up every other you know, door that was to come.
1: I, I said to Mark, I said, when I watched that clip, it looks like a little Harry Potter, but you, your ears is just like a sponge. And he said, that's that's pretty well, I am, and I suppose anyone wants to improve is this sponge, and, and I'm very passionate about not only supporting music, but also raising the profile of the great artists that we do have in Adelaide. People complain about the music scene. It is what it is. It's no good complaining. Complaining won't do anything or just turn people from listening to you. Exactly. But we have so many wonderful talented musicians we do and the sad thing is when when i'm driving from post to george you know I'm, i remember the Elton john concert i had two gold passes you know chuggy said go and give these to a couple of people you know and to get him up to the front you know i've walked the length and breadth of uh, botanic park i couldn't recognize one person from being at a live gig or the Gov, not one person, mm. and and that's the sad thing. These people and they think they're seeing the artist. They're, they're half a kilometre from Elton John and they're watching a TV screen. Mm. I'm thinking, guys, you know, I, I I tend not to go to concerts. I always say if I, if the if the artist can't spit on me, I won't be in that venue because you and I know most people know there's nothing like being up front and close. And I also joke yep. about you know. Dice, You know, um, Professor Spurling, Nicola, uh, Spurrier, sorry, not Spurling. Um, You know, a lot of these people are on three, four, 500 grand a year. A live concert to them is an international act. Mm. You know, it's one one thing I'm about is uh, when you talk about COVID is the good and bad about the COVID's put people back in their backyards. So what they've done is they've spent money on a house extension, new kitchen, barbecue, landscaping. So now it's a double-edged sword that they've, they've got everything happening in their backyard, and you know, in psychology they say it takes twenty-one days to change continuous behavior change a habit. These people have six and nine months. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we the job is now is to is to lever them out of you know their backyard um, to get them along to see a ban and get them to. To feel that buzz and excitement that only live music, you know, can can do. There's a reason why the churches use music through their services. It makes you high, you yes. know, singing along. You know, you, you, when you're singing, you, your lungs expand and, and endorphins are released. You know, that's the secret of music. But mm.
0: yeah. look, the best best gig I saw of um... Midnight. Oh, it was uh, mid nineties. They did a show at the Bridgeway of all places. Yeah, and I managed to make it all the way up to the front, and I was like press, getting like pressed into the fence. Yeah, <laughs> sort of thing. You know. Yeah, but I wasn't moving. Like I had people behind me pushing. Whatever. It didn't matter. I wasn't moving. I'd made it right in the centre, and there I had Peter Garrett standing over top of me. Literally, literally dripping sweat on me yeah and i wasn't moving for
1: nobody yeah. med- medicine <laughs> med- medicine would do it. I'm, i'm glad you raised that because rob Hurst was a huge influence i think for most people who just just blew your mind but mm-hmm. i remember when i was stacking shelves as a kid um, at coles at Furl, and on thursdays you'd start at 8 30 you know you actually could see people and I saw this guy, tall guy, doing like double paradiddles <laughs> as he's standing um, at the freezer section, and, and I went up to so say, "You a drummer," and that was Ron Keelan, who was taught by the great Jim Bailey, and um, ended up taking my my seat when I was cooked. But you know, we got chatting and, and became instant best buddies, and um, he said, "Go to this banner I, I was at the Tivoli last night. They've got this six foot five singer, he's bald, it's crazy. And at the end of the show, the drummer kicked his Ludwig kit off stage. My goodness. So I think it might have been that Saturday night, I reckon, it was probably 79, I reckon, just before we got in the. I think we knew we were playing the Summer Search and I wasn't sick then. And I wanted to see John Appleby's great band Safari Set. John's just. Absolute brilliant drummer, bloody loud, but um, you know, uh, and he's probably looks after his drum kit better than anyone in Australia. He's a very fussy guy. But so I went to the Arca bar and I was right up front, and I think at all might have come on at midnight or 11 o'clock. Started with cold, cold change. Like, you know, within 30 seconds, the lights were bright and they weren't LEDs, so a lot of heat. Garrett was soaked in sweat, you know, mm-hmm. after about two minutes. I realise now it wasn't the lights, it was something else, but we won't talk about that here. But <laughs> um, I was pointing at Rob Hurst, I was just glued to to Hurst and I was at the Archibald, the stage back then was on the other side and uh, it was an one of the Architectural Awards for all the wood, but above the stage, I don't know if you remember or old enough, but there was a mobile hanging, this was this big wooden frame like a crossword above the drum kit, and I just kept pointing to it all night. At the end, of the encore, Rob Hurst has winked at me, and he's jumped up on his seat and and floor Tom, grabbed the mobile, and and, and uh, you know it was uh, you know that that got me hooked on midnight you know, all. I went to some other shows. Um, you know, I think at one stage, sadly, I was wearing the overalls when I was playing, but, um, the cult of personality will do that to you sometimes.
0: Yeah. yeah. Mm.
1: No, great drummer, great band. Yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely. Brilliant band to see live. It's
1: and, just and a great- full
0: on from like, right from the beginning. Like it, they, they just hit you in the face and they just keep doing that until they're finished.
1: Yeah, we, we, we won't we won't say why we won't no. say why, but um, yeah, there's some great uh, I think concerts on the water. You you watch some of those video, video clips and you think uh, I know what's going on. Uh, let's keep that a secret. But but um, yeah, Rob Hurst was um, yeah just just a mate. But, that, uh, and I think I learned a lot uh, in hindsight about management because they were a band. That had very definite rules about negotiating gigs, uh, and um, and and very good in the legal department. You know that, that they were very good at marking. And, and what I, I like is they stood by their their principles. You know, some people might have lost faith in Peter Garrett towards the end when he when he switched uh, left the Greens. Um, but you know, I look at that and think you know he, he probably thought he could make more of a impact um, going the Labor Party, but, you know, yes. good on, mate. They were, you know, they are still, you know, a great band. Oh, and you I, look, I saw I, them
0: this year at Wayne Adelaide. I, yeah. And like, I, <laughs> you you yeah. just can't not get excited when they hit the stage. It's just. Yeah. And,
1: mm. and like Paul Kelly and a lot of other artists, Australian artists, they, they've been very important in raising the awareness of the fantastic Indigenous artists that we have have here in Australia and, uh and the stories and music they've got to, to bring, in you know, Archie Roach, um, you know, uh, and it's great to see No Fix Address get um, appreciated because, you know, the, the, these, these are wonderful Australians. And, and um, you know, I, I think Australia needs to embrace the Indigenous, you know, yes. history you know, and particularly the musical history. You know.
0: Definitely. And that's the end of part one of the Paul Sharman interview. In the next episode, Paul discusses his, his support network, which is his family, his relationship with his band members, the Voodoo Lounge, tips and skills for longevity, and we have a really great conversation about forming a stronger united musical community here in South Australia, amongst other things. It's gonna be another long one, folks, but hey, it is Paul Sharman after all. Make sure that you have subscribed if you haven't already so that you don't miss this episode because I tell you what, it's going to be a beauty. Until next time, this is Dice Balone, Bandit About, proudly supporting live music. Bye.